Hear the word of God. Um, now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. This is an amazing story, guys. The woman conceived, bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took him in a basket made of bulrushes, and I don't know what that is, and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She made a basket. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister t- stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Then, of all things, Pharaoh's daughter shows up to bathe in the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her um, several women down there and took it. She opened the basket, saw the child, and beheld the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the child went and called the child's mother. The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Amazing. She's paying um, Moses' mother to nurse him, and then she's going to adopt him, and he's going to go and live in Pharaoh's house and grow there and have the best education in the world. Okay. He goes, and then um, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she says, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the man in the wrong said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And we're going to end the the first act there, uh, which is the birth and early years of Moses, uh, God's man of freedom. And then act two is how Moses is going to be prepared to be a a rescuer, a redeemer. Hear these words. During those many days, the uh, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because their slavery and cried for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard them in their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, Moses was keeping his flock uh, of his father-in-law, Jethro. See, he went to get married. He found a wife, got married, and was living in rather obscurity over in Midian. uh, He's uh, shepherding sheep. He's there in the wilderness. There, uh, by Horeb, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. That's what God sounds like. And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And Moses said, or no, uh, the, actually the burning bush said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, I know their suffering. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out, of the, out to the land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's four letters in the Hebrew. I am that I am, Yahweh or Jehovah. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We'll talk a little bit about what that means in a minute. Um, but skip over to the next chapter. We're already in chapter 4. Bear with me. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, I'm going to skip over everything else in that chapter. And what he does is God tells him, I'm going to give you three signs. First, you have that staff in your hand. I'm going, to make, I'm going to make it to where you can command that staff to become a snake. And then it will turn back into a staff at your command. Secondly, if they don't believe that, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you another magic trick where you can take your hand, stick it in your cloak, take it out, and it's going to be leprous. Ooh, scary, scary hand. Okay, then you put it back in, healed. Okay? Thirdly, if they don't believe you then, what I'll do is I'll, I'll allow you to take water out of the Nile River, drop it on the ground, and it turns into blood. These, these tricks. It says... Show them these signs. But Moses says to the Lord in verse 10, Oh, my Lord. Here's his next excuse. I'm not eloquent. Eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth. I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then God got angry uh, against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be your, with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And they leave, go to Egypt. Final act, real quick. God's man of freedom brings the promise of freedom to an enslaved people. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words that the Lord had spoken to him, and all the signs that he told him to do, then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and to the signs in the sight of the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. That's the end. May God add his blessing to it tonight. This is his very word. Um, so this is... All semester, the theme is the Freedom Project. 
that God is going to bring freedom to his people. And how does he do that? What's he, what's he free us from? Well, he frees us from slavery in general, and he does it through people. He does it through people like Moses. Um, God's been on the move for our freedom well in advance of all the things that we need freedom from, all the things that we are afflicted with. See, we are people who are prone to be enslaved to things God made, everyday great things. Egypt was a blessing for these people. Um, They were hungry, they were starving in their land, and their only way out was to go to Egypt. And Egypt was a great thing, and then it enslaved them. It sort of turned on them. And we're slaves to many great things in our college years. Uh, We're slaves to getting a certain GPA. That's our master. We're slaves to achievement. We're slaves to grad school. We're slaves to getting the best possible job. We're slaves to getting a certain level of, of status and wealth and money in the bank, a certain number. We're slaves. We can become slaves to great things. Money is a great thing. Uh, relationships are a great thing. But some of us are enslaved to getting in a relationship, not feeling alone, feeling like we belong, feeling significant. And so these, these feelings, which are great, we're created with dignity. We're created for significance and for relationships. If those things become the ultimate thing, they can become a cruel taskmaster. And that's exactly what happened here. This, these cruel taskmasters, in this story is Egypt, is, is a taskmaster that sucks the life out of the people rather than giving life and freedom, which they were born for. And if we're going to be free of the things of life, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to have a plan. Um, I'll never forget walking across Lindsay um, to the South Oval. I saw a guy who was working on his biceps. He, had, he was like, I, I'm a computer programming guy, and he had this, this dumbbell in his hand. It's a 20-pound dumbbell. And he would take, he, as he's going to class, he would do his dumbbell curls, and then he would twitch. You know? And so he's like, I'm like, that's, that's, I'm like, that's an interesting plan. Not the best plan. For, for, you know, like, he's like, I'm going to be in class all day, so I'm going to bring my, my dumbbell. So he had a plan. He's like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to say the Bible, as far as it goes with freedom or accomplishing that, it doesn't start with hard work or a command to simply try harder, to work harder. Uh, what the Bible says is that, it, is that freedom is going to come through something even harder than following a list of do's or don'ts. It's a harder work of believing a promise, a promise that you might not see. It's the hard work of believing and it's not believing in yourself that's going to set you free. Uh, in fact, it's, it's disbelieving in yourself. Because believing in yourself is actually a freedom trap. And I'm not saying you should, I mean, like, I, I, don't hear me wrong. I'm saying you should believe in yourself for some things. Uh, but believing in yourself can't set you free. Like, if you start to believe in yourself, you might lose some weight. You might make better grades. You might run a marathon. You might start your own business. Um, all these things are out there for you if you believe in yourself. What the Bible offers is something more than accomplishment. It's freedom. It's freedom from accomplishments. It's freedom from accomplishments making you matter. It's being free as you're meant to be, not being enslaved to anything. God, I mean, Jesus, when he's in, in, in uh, the New Testament, he's saying, he's going around telling people, you can't serve God and money. You've got to choose one. And he says, you're going to be free from money. You're going to be free to give away your money freely um, without obligation Uh, without trying to get something out of somebody, you're going to be free to give. 
um, out of the kindness and generosity and grace of your heart. Um, there's freedom from deception, from believing lies. There's freedom from FOMO, if you all know what FOMO means. Do you know what that is? No. Fear, fear, of, fear of missing out. Thank you. Um, you, you I, mean, like, I, I mean, I don't know if you're one of those people, but you're always hesitant to make <clears throat> plans because you're worried that something else better is going to come up. And so, I, I mean, you, you just you tell people, well, I'll let you know, you know, when you get that invitation, because you don't know, you might miss out on something. And so this can give you freedom to say no to stuff. It can give you freedom to say yes to stuff. Um, if you know who you are in God, you're not, if you have a fear of missing out, usually it's because you really value authority people, people can advance you, things like that. Um, and, you'll, and you'll take people that are under you or have equal status with you and kind of treat them badly. Well, th- this can give you freedom from those things. So God's been on, move, on the move from freeing you for this since before you were born. He's had a plan, and he's going to raise you up out of an impossible situation like this baby. Um, I would say when it comes to being free from my sin, I have a sin nature. I was born with it. I can't change that. I'm powerless to change my own heart, all right? I'm powerless to, you know, as Jesus says, be born again. I can't be born again. I can't do that. And so I am no different than a little defenseless baby in a, in a little basket in the Nile River. The most powerful man in the world wants me dead. And then I'm at, at his mercy. I need somebody to, to stand up for me. And what's amazing is the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh's own daughter, stands up against him. He had just told every Egyptian they were under obligation to kill every baby Hebrew. And his daughter says, no, I'm not going to do that. She took a courageous stand under the penalty of death. I bet she was a teenager. She didn't do what her dad said. Um, you know, so you can relate. Dad tells you one thing, you do the exact opposite. You know, so, but she only saves Moses. She not only saves him, but she, again, wants to adopt him. She pays his own mother to nurse him. Now, what's, what's interesting is she, she would immediately think that there are Hebrew women out there who can breastfeed this baby. Well, yeah, there are, because people have been throwing babies into a Nile River and destroying them. Like, this is the world Moses grew up in. There are mothers without their children who could be surrogate mothers to, to feed this baby uh, for the Pharaoh daughter. That's the world he grew up in. But this woman stands up against that and says, no, we're not going to kill this baby. And then, then Moses gets the best education in the world in, in Pharaoh's palace, um, ra- being raised um, as an, in, in all, with all that benefit. But he spent his early years with his mother, with his family, learning his culture, learning who God is. And then he has this great um, solidarity with his people. He sees someone mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills him. Um, he has compassion on these people. He goes to them, and then he gets kicked out of the land due to his murder. I mean, he was a murderer. Um, it was a brutal land. He was a brutal guy. And the Pharaoh hears about his murder and wants to have him murdered and thrown in the river. Um, it's, and so he's, he's humbled. He's sent out to be a shepherd. And, um, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's almost like he's without hope at that point. And, and we're, what we have next is that God himself appears to this guy. Now, 
I picture Moses at that point is like, uh, if y'all watch the Super Bowl, y'all know who Malcolm Butler is maybe. <laughs> Malcolm Butler is the, is the secondary guy, defensive back, who made the inter- game-winning interception. Now, his story is that he, he was, you know, not highly regarded, was not drafted, uh, went to Heinz Community College in Jackson, Mississippi, was kicked out of Heinz Community College for fighting, um, and then he ended up uh, at one point uh, undrafted, sort of born to play football, kind of ruined his life, and he's working at Popeye's in the drive-thru. Nothing wrong with working at Popeye's in the drive-thru, selling chicken. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with Canes. Uh, but there he is. And then Bill Belichick and Bob Kraft call him and let him try out for the Patriots. And here he is. Now, Bill Belichick and Bob Kraft, Patriots guys, are thinking, you know, $10 million to Tom Brady, good call. That's probably going to help us win a Super Bowl. Popeye's chicken guy, probably not going to help us win the Super Bowl. Like, they get this guy, he's on the team, and he steps in front of the pass at the end of the game to win the Super Bowl, and he is the rescuer. So here we all, we have this Moses out there in the middle of um, the wilderness, shepherding sheep, and God calls him. He's been humbled and he's brought to his knees, so to speak. Uh, he's been prepared for this, um, for this task of raising raising his people or rescuing them. And so um, I, I, I retweeted a guy this week named Tolin Chavidjian, and he says, as far as why, why does God allow us to fail? I mean, like, if God's in control of everything, why can we fail? And so he says, the one reason why God allows you and me to fail is so that your understanding of grace would be deeper than it would be if you hadn't messed up. Popeye's existed for Malcolm Butler. It's part of the deal. Um, being kicked out of his land existed for Moses to know God's grace. And then he sits down at the feet of God, hears from him at a burning bush. It's very crazy. Um, So second thing, God will bring freedom through one of their own people, Moses. Now, he goes to this burning bush. It's very crazy. If you want to ask questions about that, we can. But I want to ask, what's in the bush? Who's in the bush? And John Calvin says, it's Jesus. John Calvin says, it's Jesus. He says, he says, hey, there's a quote here from his commentary. It says, let us inquire as to who this angel was. The ancient teachers of the church have rightly understood it to be the eternal son of God in respect to his office as mediator. See, God used these created things um, like a burning bush to show who he was. He could go against the created um, order of things. Like, you know, when, when things are on fire, they normally burn down until there's nothing Here's this perpetually burning bush. And it's to teach Moses a little bit about who Jesus is, is that he can do miracles. He can rescue slaves, bring them out of slavery. So let's just briefly look at just, I'm going to list six things that Moses teaches God what he's like. First, he's imminent. He's with us. He's close. He speaks to Moses. He calls him out, Moses, Moses. He speaks to him. He, got, he knows his name and he talks to him. He's, God is imminent. That's what we can learn. Jesus shows us that God is imminent. What if Jesus was seated right next to you all the time? And you're Googling something. He's like, what are you doing? Okay, like, like Jesus is that close. Jesus brings God close. He's imminent. That's, re- that's more real than the, than the Google is, actually, um, that Jesus is with us. Two, um, God is holy. Um, he, God says out of the bush, do not come near, take off your shoes. An ancient Near Eastern sign of humility that you're, you're giving reverence to a higher office is you take off your shoes. 
He's, he's saying this is holy ground. This is set apart ground. It's special. Why? Because God is there. God is there. And so when we're with God, there's a set apartness to it. There's a holiness. God's holy. He's, he's different. He's set apart. So he's both imminent and he's different. Three, he's ancient and unchanging. Uh, he's been around. He's the same God uh, who's always been around. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is what his name means. He's the self-existent one. He's I am that I am. He means he is. Okay, tell him I am sent you. So third, he's ancient and unchanging. Fourth, he's empathetic. He's heard their cries. All their cries in verses 7 and 9 of chapter 3. And Jesus is a picture of that. He's, he, he, looks at, he looks at Israel and he's like, look, they're like a, shepherd without a, or a sheep without a shepherd. He's empathetic to them. He's going to send them a savior, Moses. He's mighty to save and gives good gifts. He cannot stand that they are crying out and in pain, and he wants to help them. Fifth, he's a savior. He will give them good gifts. He will, he will, they will plunder the Egyptians. They will leave slavery. He's the liberator. He's the one who brings freedom. Finally, sixth, he's personal. He tells them his name. He tells him his name. He knows Moses' name. He says, here's my name. It's Yahweh or Jehovah, the self-existent one. And that also means he's autonomous. He's independent. He's the one who exists independently of all. And so God had to show Moses deeply who he was so he could lead his people home. He needed to trust God. He needed to see who he was. And that's exactly why you're here tonight. You're here at RUF to know God. And I hope you're take, you, you all took notes of what I just said there. Uh-huh. Because there will be exam laters, exams on this. There will be an exam. Take out your, take out your paper, and we're going to write the six attributes of God I just said. No, we're not going to do that. The exam will come in your every day. It'll, become, it'll, be, it'll be there when you're with your roommates, when you're, at, when you're going to class. Everywhere you go, there's, there is an exam. It's at your Greek houses. It's, it's at, when you're on the couch next to somebody at 3 a.m. Um, it's on the South Oval. It's your life and your words speak and testify to how well you know God. Uh, and it will lead people to freedom or it will lead people to, back to slavery. You paint a big word picture of who Jesus is so that people can believe his beauty if you've seen him. But first you have to see the beauty for yourself. Have you, have you ever seen Lost? You know John Locke is like a, a, kind of like a fool. Like no one believes him. He says, I looked in the heart of the island and I saw and I beheld its beauty. And either he just stinks at communication or no one else can hear him. No one else could see it. Hurley could see it. Um, they saw it. He looked like a crazy man, though, because he believed in something. And the sad thing was that that, that island was a lie. The whole thing was a lie. What he saw was a lie. He was being deceived. And so we all have to determine whether what Moses saw was a lie or true. What, 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 like, what hundreds of people saw in 30 A.D. was a lie with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, or if it was true. Or if hundreds of people after Jesus' resurrection, what they saw um, was a lie or true. Or what, or what seemingly disconnected people throughout the entire world have seen for 2,000 plus years. It's just a lie that got out of hand or if it's true. And so if you've seen that, there's a mission there for you, but it's hard. And it's going to take someone like a Moses to come to you and set you free. And so Moses felt the freedom. He saw who God was. 
he doubted a little bit. He looked at him like, I, I, don't, I can't speak well. No one's going to believe me. And so God started giving him signs. And so the last thing is he's going to give us signs to help us be somebody's Moses. And the sign is essentially this. He gives you a church. He gives you a place where there's old people, young people, rich people, poor people, and they're all trusting in Jesus. They're all beggars who have found bread and long to share it. We're all eating the same bread here. And so we're looking at, at this one Jesus. We've got the signs of the church you can get. We all, at our, our church in Norman, Christ the King, we gather every Sunday, which is my favorite part of church, and we have the Lord's Supper. And it teaches us that our only nourishment is truly in Jesus alone. He is the true bread of life. And that every story points to that need. If someone sets us free, and only, my only freedom is through Jesus alone. People tell us we can get freedom through buying, you know, pills or workout equipment or, or anything else. Taking this class to pass the LSAT, that's going to do it. But the, all, all that freedom we long for is ultimately going to be found winning the Super Bowl. We think, oh, man, if I won the Super Bowl, I'd be really free. I'd be happy. Brady said before, no, it doesn't fulfill me. Andre Agassi, one of my favorite tennis players of all time, um, says, man, the wins don't feel as good as the losses feel bad. These things can't heal our wounds. The rider in the white horse seems like it's never coming. We're going to be left in, in slavery forever. We're going to have to bandage ourselves up and cope, binge on Netflix, eat ice cream, long for someone to date us and love us and hire us, um, obsess about ourselves because we know we're not going anywhere. That's what we do. But let me close with this. Um, you know, I watched... Um, um, many well I, saw, I watched a few commercials I missed the halftime show I have four kids and a lot of the commercials are too scary or racy for five year old girls and six year old boys and so we, we you know I was like turning the thing on to watch the game and I turned it off and turned it back on so we got to see about half the fourth quarter and so like as the fourth quarter is going on there's a Fifty Shades of Grey commercial and I see you know good looking people kind of getting frisky with each other and um, I'm thinking what is this Fifty Shades of Grey I've uh, never heard of it, so I'm, I'm kidding, I've heard of it. There's like 65 billion books sold right now, um, 65 million. It's like Lord of the Rings level. Like you're seeing this, this, this stinking preview, and it's making incredible claims about how many people are longing to see this movie. So I Googled it, and I found, turn off your Google images. Yeah, yeah, do I? Yeah, okay, exactly. He's right there with me. I came across, what is the point? I, I googled, what is the meaning behind Fifty Shades of Grey? I came across a Psychology Today article. It says this. This is not one of these Christian articles that's hating on the, on the culture out there. This is a generic psychology article. It says, I believe this book has a lot to do with the desire that many of us have of being swept away from our mundane lives in the world of passion. One of the things that makes this series so compelling is that it affirms the classic fantasy the handsome prince is going to ride into our lives on his noble white steed and sweep us off our feet. Um, and that um, uh, take a, he's going to take us away from our ordinary existence, bring us to a beautiful castle where we'll spend the rest of our, the remainder of our lives living in luxury, leisure, and of course, pleasure. Christian Grey, is that the name of the main character? Tricked you. You've read it. Okay. Um, okay. Um, Christian Gray is a substitute for Moses. Busted. Um, he's a substitute for Moses. Moses comes to tell people 
about the freedom they long for that can only be found in this God, the personal God, who never changes. He's the God of creation. He teaches Moses that. He humbles Moses, and then he lifts him up. And so you may think you're not going anywhere, but you are going somewhere. You're going somewhere in Christ alone. Um, you're, not re- you're not meant to remain in your Egypt. Uh, and if you get to know the Jesus that Moses met, you're going to take other people with you. You're going to take them to freedom uh, by God's grace. So you're made to be a Moses. Um, and to take, uh, it takes a Moses, actually, um, for God to rescue people. He uses people. Sometimes they're murderers. Sometimes they're people like us. Um, have you seen him is the question. Moses was a murderer. Will you come back and hear more about this next time is the question. It's an invitation. It's always an invitation. You can hear this here Monday nights. You can hear it at church. You can open your Bible. You can do your wad of the day. Um, you can do these things uh, because we really need to know who God is. We need to give him a fair shot. Um, so let's pray and we'll sing one more song.